I just want to thank Patrick um, and the, the rest of the men for giving me an opportunity to preach. I, I am at the same seminary. I'm, I'm in training, the same training as Patrick and uh, Brian went through, and I'm I'm very much and still in the novice state, so I'm just, it's very gracious for um, our pastor to give even me an opportunity to bring God's word to you this morning. This is God's word. We're going to be opening to Psalm 16 this morning, so if you can turn to Psalm 16. I'm going to just open in prayer and just ask God to bless our time. Thank you so much for your, this opportunity to come before you and hear your word. We long to hear from you this morning. So thankful for the reminders that we've had, even through that, that video, even, even coming before you in song, that we are coming before the God of the universe this morning. We get to hear you speak through your word. We pray that you would speak mightily this morning to our hearts. We pray that you would give us listening ears and attentive hearts and obedient hearts to do what you tell us to in your word. We know through your spirit this is possible. So we pray that your Holy Spirit would, the Holy Spirit would just work mightily today and in through your word to make us more like Christ. Thank you so much for your word. How precious it is to us this morning. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So as you're turning to Psalm 16, um, let me let me just read that psalm. So I'll begin Psalm 16. Psalm 16, a miktam of David. Preserve me, O God, for I take refuge in you. I said to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good besides you. As for the saints who are in the earth, they are the majestic ones in whom is all my delight. The sorrows of those who have bartered for another God will be multiplied. I shall not pour out their drink offerings of blood, nor will I take their names upon my lips. The Lord is the portion of my inheritance and my cup. You support my lot. The lines have fallen to me in pleasant places. Indeed, my heritage is beautiful to me. I will bless the Lord who has counseled me. Indeed, my mind instructs me in the night. I have set the Lord continually before me. Because he is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my glory rejoices. My flesh also will dwell securely. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol, nor will you allow your Holy One to undergo decay. You will make known to me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy in your right hand, there are pleasures forever. Today, from Psalm 16, we will be focusing on three attributes of God. Three attributes of God for us to delight our souls in, so we might find our satisfaction in God and God alone. Those three attributes from Psalm 16 are God's goodness. God's goodness, delighting in God's provision, and delighting in God's salvation. These are three things that we need to constantly be delighting in. And if we are, we will be satisfied in him no matter what comes our way. Let's look at verse 1. In verse 1, we read, Preserve me, O God, for I take refuge in you. 
David begins this psalm like in a lament. If you're familiar with the psalms, as we've been going through them last summer and then this summer, you know that the majority of psalms are not, are not what we would think of as happy psalms. They are sad psalms. And this psalm begins like a sad psalm. It begins like a, a, a lament psalm. Because David goes down in the right in the beginning and he says, Preserve me, O God. Help me, God. I take my refuge in you. I need help. I desperately need help. But he takes an immediate right turn. He doesn't stay in the depths, which a lot of laments do. Instead, he takes a turn. This is actually a psalm of trust. And he takes a turn and he finds his delight in the Lord right away. And there's escalating delight throughout this psalm. We are not told any specific information about this psalm. We don't, we don't know what trial David is in. Some of the psalms in, in the prescript where we read a miktam of David in this psalm, we, we are given more information. We aren't told what's going on here. But we do know that David was in a lot of trials throughout his life, don't we? I mean, he was in tons of trials. He's chased by Saul. He's chased by Absalom. He had all kinds of trials, didn't he? He, he if you remember, was uh, betrayed by Abner. There was a time that he, he could have died very easily. The kingdom could have been taken from him very easily. The Philistines, Ammonites, Moabites, the Arameans, just to name a couple of the nations that he was warring against constantly. Because he, did all of, he had all of these wars, there was actually peace in his son Solomon, which his son Solomon, that name means peace, right? In his son's day, there was peace, but not in David's. So we don't know exactly the situation, but if you'll turn with me to 1 Samuel, just flip back to 1 Samuel chapter 30. This is at the very end of 1 Samuel. This is actually at the very end of Saul's reign. And if you probably flip a page, if you find chapter 30, 1 Samuel 30, and flip a page or two to the left, to like chapter 28, you'll see that Saul is at the end here, towards the end of his king, kingship. He is now even consulting with medium, with the spirit, with a witch, witch of indoor. I mean, it sounds like something from Star Wars, right? He's... He's consulting with, with someone. God says, do not do that. And, and so he is at the end of his reign. He is, his reign is coming to an end. David, on the other hand, if you look at chapter 29, David's with the Philistines. David is in the midst of the Philistine camp. And they are at war against Saul and against the armies of Israel. And David and 600 of his men are with him. And they're there, and they're going to be attacking their own brothers, their own countrymen. Well, the Philistines remember, all of a sudden, they remember, wait a second, this is David. This is the guy that killed our champion, Goliath, years ago. Maybe it's not good that he is in our midst as we're attacking his people. So they kicked him out. They said, you need to leave. You need to go. And in God's providence, God did this because as they left, if you look in chapter 30, verse 1, then it happened when David and his men, they, went to, they came to Ziklag. That's where 
their families had been staying while they were with the Philistines. It was a three days journey from where they were with the Philistines. That the Amalekites had made a raid on the Negev and on Ziklag and had overthrown Ziklag and had burned it with fire and had taken captive the women and all who were in it both small and great, without killing anyone, and carried them off and went their way. When David and his men came to the city, behold, it was burned with fire, and their wives and their sons and their daughters had been taken captive. Then David and the people who were with him lifted their voices and wept until there was no strength in them to weep. Now David's own two wives had been taken captive, Ahinoam and Abigail. What do you think David was feeling right at this moment? Further to that, look at what his men, these are his most loyal companions at this point in his life. Look at what his men say in verse 6. Moreover, David was greatly distressed. Why was he greatly distressed? Well, because the people spoke of stoning him. For all the people were embittered each one because of his sons and daughters. Each one had experienced great loss, and David was the target. David was going to be killed right here. So what would you do if you were in this situation? Well, a man after God's own heart, as David was, this is what he did. Look at this. But David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. David strengthened himself on the Lord his God. And that's what I want to encourage you this morning. That's what this psalm is about. Because as we look at the rest of this, this story here in 1 Samuel, you'll see what happens. David consults the Lord right away. In verse 8, David inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I pursue this band? Shall I overtake them? And he said, God said to him, Pursue, for you will surely overtake them, and you will surely rescue all. So David went, and the 600 men who went with him, um, they came to the brook of Besor. Now when they did that, 200 of them were so exhausted because they had wept beyond exhaustion that they stayed. They stayed there. So only 400 went. So now the, 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 uh, this little band went and they raided the raiders. They raided these professional raiders. That's what the Amalekites were. They went and they pillaged. That's how they made their living. So they went, they came to Ziklag, good city. We're going to take everybody. People were worth something. They could sell them into slavery. They could use them for their own purposes. They could take all of their goods and plunder. And David and just 400 men with, the, with God's God. God's authority and God going before them overtook these, these raiders, and they raided the raiders. They, they wiped them out. They chased them off and brought back all of their families without harm. And they came, and they had probably lots of plunder, and they came to those 200 men that were still behind. And there, there was, and this is where I want you to look this morning at, at verse 23. Because... When they came to the 200 men, they said, you know, we, um, we don't want to share with the 200. The 200 didn't do anything. We were the ones that fought. And David said, wait a second, it wasn't us that did this. Verse 23, then David said, you must not do so, my brothers, with what the Lord has given us. 
who has kept us and delivered us into the hand, into our hand, the band that came against us. That word kept us is the first word of our psalm this morning. So if you turn back to Psalm 16, keep that in mind. That is what David is saying. He's saying, look, God is the one that kept us. God is the one that preserved us. God is the one that will take care of us. And very well, David could have been praying this psalm in the midst of this situation. We don't know, but this gives you an idea of the type of situation, the dire situation David was in. He cried out, preserve me, keep me. This is the only imperative in Psalm 16. It's, a, it's normally a command form. God, God is not being commanded by David. David is not commanding God to do this. He is requesting, he is entreating God to act. He's saying, if God, you must take care of me. If you don't take care of me, I have no other hope. I have no other hope. Where... Will you go when you experience horrible, difficult times? Who are you delighting in now? Are you delighting in God's goodness right now to make sure that when you encounter those times, you'll be able to trust the Lord and depend on Him alone? We have a family friend that uh, she and her husband are missionaries overseas. A month ago, um, they got a report. You come home. Right away, your father has just been diagnosed with a, a cancer, a very aggressive cancer. That was less than a month ago. And um, today, we're, we're going to go to um, the funeral of her father. So just within a few weeks, he passed away. And they got to see him, and he, he loved the Lord. And, and um, we rejoiced because he's in heaven but what sorrow, right? What sorrow? We never know what kind of situations we're going to be in, if it will be something like that. But if you're delighting in the Lord, as our friends were, they were delighting in the Lord, delighting in the Lord. And when sorrow, tragedy struck, just like for David, when tragedy struck, they still could delight in God's goodness. God is still good no matter what, isn't he? Amen? Let's continue on in verse 3. Because David has obviously communion with God, sweet communion with God. He also has sweet communion with those who love God. In verse 3 we read, As for the saints who are in the earth, they are the majestic ones in whom is all my delight. David's desires are wrapped up in the fellowship with other believers, with those who delight in God. Is that where your delight is this morning? That is part of God's good for you, to be in the church and be fellowshipping with those who love God. That phrase where it says, in the earth, you have a natural and common bond with everyone else that's living on the earth right now that is, is born again. Do you know that? If you go to another place in the world, I've, I've been to Albania, or if I've, I've been to Uganda, or to Honduras, been to the Netherlands. There are people that love God just like me there, just like you there. Wherever you go, you have a commonality with those who love God. You can worship with one another. You can encourage one another. Just look around at, at, at us this morning. God has brought us together from so many different situations. What's our commonality? It's not, we aren't Jew. We aren't Greek. We belong to Christ, don't we? Praise God. We have one another. So how do you define friendship? What do you look for in a friend? Well, do they delight in God? 
That's what David is saying. He sees those who are holy ones, those who are majestic ones, as the ones that he just delights in. He wants to be around them. He wants to spend his resources, his time, his fellowship with those who love God. David would encourage us to run with the godly, to surround ourselves with those who love God. This communion with God lovers, with those who love God, is in stark contrast with his, his relationship to those who do not love God. Look at the next verse. In verse 4 we read, The sorrows of those who have bartered for another God will be multiplied. I shall not pour out their drink offerings of blood, nor will I take their names upon my lips. David has no communion with those who do not love God. He will not participate in their evil deeds. He won't even, he won't even participate by, by his words in participating in what they're doing. It doesn't say in the, in the original language, you'll see God probably in, in your Bible is italicized. That's because it's, it's not in the original text. They're, they're, these folks have, have literally sold the farm. They have sold out. They're seeking something else other than God. We have um, studied through Idols of the Heart with Pastor Patrick, and he, he's helped diagnose so many of those idols in our hearts. This could be us this morning. Maybe, maybe we're delighting in something that we shouldn't. Maybe we've let something else come in the same level as our worship to God. We must turn from that this morning. We must, we must put that aside and separate ourselves from those things which which we, we are not to do because we are set apart by God. We're holy ones because of Christ. We're to delight in those who love the Lord. We're to separate ourselves from those who for, have forsaken the Lord. Let me read 1 John 2, 2, 15 through 17. 1 John 2, 15 through 17. Do not love the world, nor the things in the world, if anyone loves the, the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. The world is passing away and also its lust, but the one who does the will of God lives forever. If you look back at psalm 16 and you see in verse 4 there where it says the sorrows of those who have bartered for another god the sorrows there that that construction grammatically is just like we find in genesis 3:16, where when if you remember right after adam and eve first sinned and sin was brought into the world when the curse the curse was given to the serpent when god gives the 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 judgment of the consequence of sin, we are told that Eve will have her pain in childbirth greatly multiplied by God. And that is exactly what is being said here. It's, it's a growing, just, just like the pain in childbirth grows and it becomes more and more intense. That's what happens when you're pursuing Something other than God. Your sorrows is promised. Your sorrows will be multiplied. So if you don't have a right relationship with God this morning, your sorrows will be multiplied. 
and they will grow, and they will grow. Don't add to God. Your sorrows will grow if you do add to God. A sad example of this comes from David's own successor, his son, King Solomon. Do you remember what he did? Do you remember how many wives he had? And how he intermarried with those that God said, don't don't marry those that don't love me, and he did anyway. And when he was older, in 1 Kings 11.4 we read, For Solomon, when he was old, his wives turned his heart away after other gods, and his heart was not wholly devoted to the Lord his God, as the heart of David his father had been. As a direct result of this, the Lord strengthened Solomon's enemies from without. And in one generation, his son, it was split. The whole kingdom was split and divided because of this sin of Solomon. Don't envy the wicked. Don't envy those that run after something other than God. Find your goodness in God and God alone. Christ has united us to God Christ has united us to one another as the body of Christ. Christ has also united us to, um, well, to, to God, to, him, to each other, but he separated us, right, from the world. And so we need to remember that that's what God has done. And this leads us to our second point of what we should delight in. We delight in God's goodness. Second, we delight in God's provision. And this is verses 5 through 8. His provision is shown in two ways, through God's care and God's counsel. So this read verses 5 and 6. The Lord is the portion of my inheritance and my cup. You support my lot. The lines have fallen to me in pleasant places. Indeed, my heritage is beautiful to me. The first way that the Lord's provision is shown is through his care. And his care, can you believe this, that, that David is saying that He's actually using an equal sign, saying, the Lord is my portion. The Lord is my cup. Do you think that way, that, that what you're given in daily life to survive, God is the one giving that in such a way that you're depending on him. You're depending on him for what you drink, what you eat, for your life, blood, for everything. If you're depending on the Lord, do you, can you, do you need to be afraid of anything else? Do you need to be fearful? No, because you're depending on him, and he will take care of you. David is, is identifying that his heritage is even with the Lord. His lot is with the Lord. Our lives are ordered by God. In Numbers 18.20, it's very interesting because there are this, this same idea is given. In Numbers 18.20, let me just read it. This is the Lord speaking to Aaron, because Aaron and the Levites would not have an inheritance, would they? They weren't given a portion of land. Look at what they were given instead. Numbers 18.20, Then the Lord said to Aaron, You shall have no inheritance in their land, nor own any portion among them. For I am your portion and your inheritance among the sons of Israel. So David is, is taking that same promise that God gave specifically to Aaron and the Levites and saying, God, that's what I want too. I want you to be my portion. I want you to be my inheritance. 
If I have you as my inheritance, that inheritance will last forever, won't it? It will never go away. Think of Job after he lost all of his wealth and after he lost his ten kids. I mean, that's just phenomenal. Ten kids, right? We have four, and uh, I can't imagine ten. But uh, four is great joy and, uh, and overwhelming joy. Uh, but I can't imagine. Can you imagine ten? I mean, that is... That is very overwhelming joy. Um, but, but think about Job. He delighted in his kids, didn't he? And they were all taken, just like that. And in Job 1.20, we read that when they were taken, when his wealth was taken, everything was taken, what did Job do? Then Job arose and tore his robe and shaved his head, and he fell to the ground and worshipped. He worshipped. He said, Naked I came from my mother's womb. Naked I shall return there. The Lord gave. The Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Through all this, Job did not sin, nor did he blame God. Job was delighting in God, wasn't he? He found his satisfaction in God. And he found his satisfaction in God providing. Because he knew if God took away... God was the one that gave. God could give again. And isn't that what happened at the end of Job? Job had no idea that was going to happen. We kind of come to the book of Job, and we know the end before the beginning, right? We, we've, we can read the beginning, end of the book, and we say, oh, it's okay. Everything's going to turn out okay for Job. Job didn't know that. He didn't know that for a long time. And he had three friends, you know, that were right there to, to aggravate the situation throughout the book of Job. And And Job delighted himself, though, in God providing. God is your provider this morning. Look to him for your help. He cares for you. David continues, and this this go to verse 7. David continues, and he says, I will bless the Lord who has counseled me. Indeed, my mind instructs me in the night. I have set the Lord continually before me. Because he is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. This gives us the inside scoop of how a man of God thinks mentally and intellectually. Have you ever thought about that? How did David make decisions? This is how he did. It tells us. David tells us himself. This is how he makes his decisions. Do you want to make decisions like David made decisions? As a man after God's own heart? This is how it happened. David's stability came from God guiding him and from God being at his right hand. David says, I will bless the Lord. The Lord has given me counsel. He's counseled me. That's resulted in my mind, literally my kidneys, instructing me at nighttime. What do you think about when you're on your bed at night, when you can't sleep? When maybe you could be anxious about something. Maybe there's a huge trial. What is inside of you that you're dwelling on? Is it God's word? Is it the promises that God's given you? That's what you need to be filling yourself with so that you're delighting in God, that you're finding your satisfaction in his provision and in his counsel. He will take care of you. And and if you're dwelling on him and his promises, then you're going to be strengthened, aren't you? You're going to be strengthened in the Lord. And that's what David is saying. He's saying that, that God is at his right hand. He won't be shaken How do you retrofit yourself for an earthquake? What do you do? 
If you're going to retrofit a building, you're going to take certain steps, aren't you, to make sure that that building is going to be able to weather an earthquake. This is how you retrofit your life for any situation is through God's word and strengthening yourself in God's word so that when the trials of life come, you'll be retrofitted and ready to handle those things. You won't be shaken. We go on to to the next and final section, and this is such an exciting section because it has to do with our salvation. David continues in verse 9, and, and this is delighting in our salvation. So we've delighted in God's goodness, in God's provision, now in God's salvation. In verse 9, this has present and it has future ramifications. Doesn't your salvation have present and future implications? I mean, somebody says, are you saved? Well, are you? Yes. Are, are you? But are you in heaven? Are, are you fully saved? Are you? No, not yet. But are you saved? Yes. If you are saved by Christ, yes, you are. It's an already, but, but not yet, because once we're glorified, we'll be fully saved, right, from sin and pain and death. But not yet. Our salvation has future implications, but it also has very present real implications. In verse 9 we read, Therefore my heart is glad and my glory rejoices, my flesh will also dwell securely. David has expressed that his inside man won't be shaken. This is now even talking about his outside man. His flesh will dwell securely. Did David have any guarantees that he wouldn't be killed? No. But God said, like even in the story we read in 1 Samuel, God said, go, go, I'll give them into your hands. So who was his trust in? It was in God. Who is your trust in this morning for your well-being, for your life? For your salvation. But David does not end there just with his flesh. He continues on and he goes into even the future, even past the grave. In verse 10, we read a future implication of his salvation. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol, nor will you allow your Holy One to undergo decay. This is David's expression of trust and delight in God. This is his final answer to the the cry for help that he asks in the beginning. David most likely hasn't had an answer from the Lord yet, from why he cried to the Lord for help. He probably hasn't had that answer. But he still trusts the Lord to the point that he is able to say, you will not abandon me to Sheol to to hell. You will not allow your Holy One to undergo decay. At first glance, it looks like David's just talking about himself. But we know for certain that he's also speaking of someone else. Please turn with me to Acts. We're going to look at two quick passages in Acts verse 2. And then we're going to look at Acts 13. And why these two are important, both Peter and then Paul reference our passage in Psalm 16. And they're both in their first sermons. The first sermon recorded by Peter, the first one by Paul. And Peter, it's right at Pentecost. For Paul, it's during his first missionary journey with, with Barnabas. In Acts 2, we look 
and we read beginning in verse 29. And this is after, if you look just before that, from, from 25 to 28, you'll see our passage. That's our passage, Psalm 16, 8 through 11. But listen to what Peter does. He uses this as kind of the culmination of his sermon. Brethren, I may confidently say to you regarding the patriarch David that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. And so, so can you imagine, and his tomb is with us to this day? They knew right where David's tomb was. They're saying, look, pay the admission fee. Go over there, see. David is buried there. But look, the the psalm is going beyond David. Who's David talking about? Verse 30, And so because he was a prophet, David was a prophet, and knew that God had sworn to him with an oath to seat one of his descendants on his throne, he looked ahead and he spoke of the resurrection of the Christ, that he was neither abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh suffer decay. This Jesus God raised up again, to which we are are all witnesses. He was speaking of Jesus, and Peter proclaimed that to the people. And then let me just read from Acts 13. And I'll read 32 through 39. This is, this is Paul speaking. Again, he's preaching, and he says, And we preach to you the good news of the promise made to the fathers that God has fulfilled his promise to our children and that he raised up Jesus as it is also written in the second psalm. You are my son. Today I have begotten you as for the fact that he raised him up from the dead, no longer to return to decay. He has spoken this way. I will give you the holy and sure blessings of David. Therefore, he says in another psalm, you will not allow your holy one to undergo decay. That's Psalm 1610. For David, after he had served the purpose of God in his own generation, fell asleep and was laid among his fathers and underwent decay. But he whom God raised up did not undergo decay. Therefore, let it be known to you, brethren, that through him forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you, and through him everyone who believes is free from all things which the law which you could not be free through the law of Moses. Isn't that an amazing promise that both Peter and Paul proclaim? That's the gospel. If you belong to Christ today, if you're, if you're a Christian, if you're a biblical Christian, as we even heard preached last week, then your hope is in Christ. And then you're a proclaimer of the excellencies of his name, aren't you? To everyone that, that is around you. You're to, to let people know that, that no, no, David wasn't speaking of himself. David was speaking of the Christ to come. And we can use Psalm 16 even as we share the gospel with others. That he did not undergo decay. He rose again. And because he rose, we will also rise if, if we're covered in his blood. And we don't have to be afraid of our sin anymore, do we? If we're saved by Christ. Because his righteousness has covered us. So I just want to ask you this morning. Is your trust in Christ... Do you know him in a saving way? Is he your Lord and is he your Savior this morning? If not, 
If not, you do need to be afraid of death. You need to be afraid of hell. You need to be afraid because it's real. And the, there is real just judgment coming for the ungodly. But thanks be to God that Christ came, that God sent his only son to save us and that we have hope. And Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father except through him. That's what it says in John fourteen six. So where is your hope today? Is it in Christ? If it's in Christ, and as we come to the end here, I just want to read verse 11. Let's go back to Psalm 16, verse 11, as we conclude. Look at this promise to David and to us. You will make known to me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. In your right hand there are pleasures forever. In that section, both joys and pleasures are plural. So in this life, if you're you're delighting yourself in the Lord and finding your satisfaction in Him, then God will be at your right hand. You won't be shaken. That's a promise. In addition, you can look forward to in heaven, in God's right hand, there are pleasures and joys forever. Things that that we can't even imagine because finally we'll be freed from sin, we'll be in right relationship with God. Do you delight in, in the future hope you have in your salvation? How amazing that is. How amazing that we get to be with God forever. Listen to these words from John Bunyan. He expresses this as a prayer. Oh, who is able to conceive the inexpressible, inconceivable joys that are there? None but they who have tasted them. Lord, this is his prayer. Lord, help us to put such a value upon them here that in order to prepare ourselves for them, we may be willing to forgo the loss of all deluding pleasures here. You know the pleasures here won't satisfy. The pleasures and joys here will, will go away. The eyes of men, it says in Proverbs, the eyes of a man, they are never satisfied. Don't find your pleasures in temporal joys, in temporal pleasures. Find them in God, in his right hand. Delight yourself in who our God is and what he has promised for us through his word. Today, we've looked at delighting in God's goodness and his provision and his salvation. What is your relationship with God? If you have a saving relationship with Jesus Christ this morning, then you have great hope. If you don't, please talk to one of the pastors here this morning. Talk to Pastor Patrick, myself, Pastor Brian. We, we would love to talk to you about hope in Christ if you do have hope in Christ this morning, what does your delight in the Lord look like right now? Are you delighting in him? What are you doing to, to make your, that delight stirred up in your soul? Are you really thinking and meditating on how good God is to you? Are you really meditating on how he provides for you every single day? Are you really delighting in your salvation that we have? What a great salvation. How does that affect your prayer life? How does that affect your, your time in the Word, in His Word? As we even saw in that video, we have a window into 
what God thinks. What are you doing with God's word? How are you spending your time? What about your relationships? What about your evangelism with those that don't know the Lord? That's what God's, God's goodness and delighting in him should produce in us. So can we close in prayer and ask God to produce that in us this morning? Let's go ahead and pray. Father in heaven, thank you so much for your word. Thank you so much that we can come and just be ministered by your word. Thank you so much that, that we can delight in your goodness, we can delight in your provision, and we can delight in your salvation every day. We take so many things for granted. Father, help us not to take these things for granted. Help us instead to exalt you and to exalt ourselves in these great things that you provide for us constantly. Help us to be, of all people, the most thankful and the most rejoicing. So even in the midst of great sorrow and real pain, we have hope and we can tell a dying and decaying world that we have great hope in life in your name. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.